Hello everybody, welcome back to The Point. Hope you're all doing well. It's a Friday. We're heading into an interesting weekend in the world of sports. Apologize for the absence yesterday. Just a couple things came up. Wasn't feeling, was a little bit under the weather. Feeling better today. And we got a lot to talk about today. AFC's preview, more preview shows will be coming next week. So I apologize for being late on that. But they they are coming. They're fun. I hope you guys are enjoying them. So t- stay tuned for all of that. Now, we're in the middle of August. Training camps will be opening up in the NHL in the not-too-distant future. The NFL is a few weeks away from tipping off. The NBA, we still got some time. But the world of sports is starting to heat up again. The world of golf is in full swing in the playoffs right now. So there are things happening. There's some interesting storylines across the world of sports. I want to start today... We're going to dive into UFC 292, big preview upcoming of that card this weekend in Boston. But Major League Baseball, you're in the back half of your season. You got a month and a half left. Push to the postseason. There are storylines. The Blue Jays are only a half game up on the Seattle Mariners now. If you haven't been paying attention, the Los Angeles Dodgers have lost one game in the month of August, and it's August 18th today. They've won 11 in a row, 17 of their last 18 games. It's that it's quietly under the radar, probably, and they, they ran away with that division. What else can you say? The Phillies are a top wild card spot now. Shohei Otani is hitting home runs, but the Angels aren't going to make the playoffs. Who could have seen that coming? So straight disaster in Anaheim, and they call up their top prospect today. Oh, just desperation at its finest. What else? Well, the the Yankees are below 500 in August for the first time since 1995. 1995 for the Bronx Bombers. They get swept by the Bravos. They get shut out in two of those three games. Aaron Judge is complaining, even though he hasn't hit worth shit since he came off the IL, probably because he's not healthy yet. And the Yankees team was overblown, overstated from day one, like somebody predicted. But they're in last place. There's things happening, but you kind of you gotta wait for interesting series. And you look at the, the Blue Jays are playing the Cincinnati Reds this weekend. That's kind of fun. Normally don't play each other. Great American ballpark, Joey Votto. Sure, why not? Soak it in. Baltimore is out west, so they're going to be playing teams from out west. They're the best team in the American League, playing some of the best teams from the National League. Okay, I'll bite. Interesting, good series, yada, yada, yada. But the biggest story in Major League Baseball right now is the Tampa Bay Rays. And the Tampa Bay Rays are never the biggest story in baseball because they're the Tampa Bay Rays. (laughs) They spend... No money. They have very few star players. They've had the same manager for a decade. They have maybe the ugliest ballpark in maybe just the ugliest stadium in pro sports other than the university barn for the Arizona State University Coyotes. That's what the Rays do. They play good baseball. They make the playoffs. And you don't really hear about them. And they get in and they might go on a run or they might lose in the wildcard series. And you move on to the next year and you forget about the Tampa Bay Rays and the Trop. 
But the Rays are the biggest story in baseball right now, and it's not the best. It's not a great thing for them to be the best story in baseball. They're the best story in baseball because everything is going horrible for them right now. August 18th, they're no longer in first place, but they're in a solid wild card spot. They feel good about their team. So you could say, well, what's so bad about the Tampa Bay Rays? Well, Wander Franco, if you had to pick a star player in the Tampa Bay Rays, it would be Wander Franco. They gave him an 11-year, $182 million extension a number of years ago, even though they didn't have to because his years weren't up. They just liked the player and they wanted to keep him. Similar to Ronald Acuna Jr. in Atlanta or some of the big stars that you see across baseball. They get contracts earlier than they needed to get it. But Wander Franco, you get he gets 11 years, 182 for what he had been doing. That's pretty good money. And it's pretty cheap for the Rays. So, of course... They're in. But Wander Franco, I talked about this briefly on Tuesday. I talked more about it today. Wander Franco is away from the Rays. He's not on their current road trip out west. And the reason for that is he is being investigated for an inappropriate relationship, possibly a sexual relationship, with a 14-year-old girl. And of course, this is problematic. Of course, this is disgusting, if true. And this guy, if things are as bad as you think, could be in jail. His baseball career could be over. But the fact that he was playing in a game on Sunday, he had to be removed from the game in the middle of the fifth inning, and then he doesn't go on the road trip because they're investigating him Something stinks here. Something smells. Something's afoot. It's not all happy, glamorous in Tropicana, Florida. Wander Franco, his career could be over before it really started. The Tampa Bay Rays may get off the hook, I guess you could put it that way, but they also, when this happens, the organization takes a hit because you're the organization that signed this player, that did these heinous acts. The Raiders took a hit when Henry Ruggs, if you recall him, drunk, driving, going about 180 kilometers an hour and Downtown Vegas, hits a woman in a car, kills her and her dog. He's now in jail for 3 to 10 years, 23 years old. Not playing football. Career over, life over for the time being. This is worse. You could argue, I mean, yes, he killed, uh, Henry Ruggs killed somebody. And that's obviously awful, and you can't get a life back. But if he's if he was involved with a fourteen year old, that's it's not good. It's really not good. It's not. It's not appropriate. It's not. It's never okay. 
So now they're investigating if it was in fact somebody underage. If it's somebody 18 and above, it's not a story. But what I do find interesting, he was removed from the game Sunday. It's Friday. We haven't heard anything. Nothing. Radio silent. And I'll tell you, going online and finding dirt on people is not that hard. I'm no hacker. I'm no programmer. But you go on Instagram, you go on somebody's phone, you can find out what the hell they're doing. A thing called the cloud, if you haven't heard about it. Back somebody up. You can check out whatever the hell they're doing. This was somebody that was trying to kill the president. They would have raided him already, and you already know. I think the Rays know exactly what Wander Franco's done. Whether he is innocent or guilty, and if he was innocent, we'd know. We'd know because the organization would want him on the field, would want him back in the fray. And maybe the public opinion would not agree with Wander Franco being romantically involved with an 18-year-old girl, because 18, still young. We get it. But it would be okay. He's 22. So there's nothing wrong with that. But the only thing we got is Sports Illustrated yesterday in an article by Mike McDaniel, not the Dolphins head coach, another Mike McDaniel. He writes, Race star shortstop Wander Franco is under investigation in the Dominican Republic for an alleged relationship with a minor. The investigation began earlier this week following social media rumors surrounding the shortstop that alleged that Franco was engaging in an inappropriate relationship with a minor. Now, just days into that investigation, a new report cast doubt on the future of Franco's baseball career. On Tuesday morning, baseball insider Hector Gomez reported that a source close to the matter said it is very unlikely that Wander Franco will play in Major League Baseball again, judging by the results of the investigation that are currently being carried out, which directly commit him to these accusations against him. Meaning he did it. And if it's with a 14-year-old girl, and whether it's Dominican, United States, wherever, it's not okay. His career could be done. A 22-year-old who's a very good baseball player, the future of the Tampa Bay Rays, somebody they invested, they don't, the Rays never invest in anybody. Now, he's innocent until proven guilty. I'm not saying he did it. I'm not saying he didn't do it because, because I don't know yet. That's just the I'm reading. I want to bring that up to you guys because I find it, it's, it's a story that is the biggest story in baseball. More than Otani and where he's going to go, that's pushed to the back burner because they kept him at the deadline. We'll talk about that in October. Less than the Braves and Matt Olson and is Acuna going to win the NL MVP or is Matt Olson going to win the NL MVP? That's secondary. It's this one. And when it's NFL preseason and you have no no basketball yet, and okay, you have the James Harden story calling Daryl Morey a liar. Fine, that's any other day in the NBA. Darryl, uh, James Harden wanted to get traded. That's like a cup of coffee. That happens every day. Start your day, cup of coffee. That's James Harden. I want out of here. Okay, great. Let's move on. Groundhog Day. 
You don't want this to be the story. You have to go out of your way to figure out that the Dodgers have lost once in August. That should be big news. The Dodgers, one of the biggest, you'd think it'd be talked about more. You think that made MLB Network and the things MLB Network can talk about are Wander Franco right now and the fact that the Yankees stink. They don't want to be talking about that. Aaron Boone is walking the plank, getting ready to get his head cut off by the by the guillotine at the end of the season. He's going to be fired. Just waiting for the day for that to come. He's sick. He's getting tossed out every other game. They can't get a hit. Okay, it's awful. But no, Wander Franco is the story. Not to mention, the Rays might lose their best player. And of course, it's not about the Rays if this is actually true. Because if it is actually true, Wander Franco is gross. And he shouldn't be playing. Because he committed a crime. You know, OJ, OJ stopped playing football at one point. Did go to jail eventually, so... I guess there was uh, ramifications for his actions, delayed, but still, he ended up in the clink. Now he's on Twitter, giving his takes on uh, certain events. <laughs> Who can't wait to hear OJ's opinion on death or rape or any, any of these sexual misconduct stories? He's got to be the authority on it. I, I think if anybody in the world, he should be the guy. There's some sarcasm there if you couldn't pick it up. But the Rays also have another issue. Shane McClanahan, their ace pitcher, one of the best pitchers in baseball, another guy that, they, that they've signed to keep him under contract and to keep him a Tampa Bay Ray because he's a part of their future. Had to leave his last start after two innings. Has been battling injuries the back half of the season after a red-hot start. He needs... Tommy John surgery, and he will miss the entirety of the 2024 season. Woof. Tommy John, no McClanahan, no Drew Rasmussen, and yet. The Tampa Bay Rays continue to win, but you could think heading into 2024, you don't have your best pitcher and you don't have your best position player on your roster. And for a team that spends no money, that's a killer. And for a team that spends no money and did not get Shane McClanahan to pitch when you're actually paying him money, not a fun day in Tampa. They just can't catch a break right now. Now they are winning. They continue to win, which is quite incredible because they've battled the injury bug. First wildcard position. Two games out of first place in the American League East. 23 games above 500. That ain't bad. Three more wins in Houston. Six more wins in the Toronto Blue Jays. 
They're in Los Angeles to play the Angels this weekend. Wonder Franco batting 281 this season, 17 homers, 58 RBIs, 30 stolen bases. Ain't bad. Career 282 hitter. He's fast, he's good, he's good defensively. Could be gone. Now the Rays still have Zach Eflin. He has 12 wins. It's been a really good signing for them coming over from the Phillies. A cheap one. They got Pete Fairbanks, who's a, a solid closer. Yandy Diaz is about 322 this season. He's been great. Isaac Paredes, 23 homers, 71 RBIs. Good power hitter. But it's just a blow. And it helps every other team in the American League that they could have their two best players not available for the stretch run and going into the future. If we hear anything about Ronda Franco over the weekend, we'll relay it to you on Monday. But it's kind of an up-in-the-air story right now. Other stories in baseball, Texas is red hot. Since the All-Star break, they've lost, I think, three games to Texas Rangers. Houston's been really good since the All-Star break, too, but they haven't been as good as Texas. And that division's still up in the air. Houston trails by two and a half. Houston this weekend plays the Mariners in a massive series for both teams. Mariners playing good baseball, trying to get into the playoff mix. And you got Texas is playing the Milwaukee Brewers, who've been Struggling a little bit, but they are first place in the National League Central. Hoping to maintain that position. You got the Marlins at the Dodgers this weekend. Baltimore's in Oakland. Sounds like Bo Bichette will not return tonight. He will not return tonight in Cincinnati for the Blue Jays. He will play tomorrow night in Game 2 of the three-game series. So that's big news for, for Blue Jays and Blue Jays fans. It's, it's a glaring hole. Their team doesn't have a whole lot of depth. And when you have to play Paul DeYoung, who might be great defensively, but can't get a hit to save his life. And Matt Chapman hasn't been playing because he's banged up. So you have Espinal and Andy Young playing in the same game. Not a whole lot of options there. And Vladdy Guerrero Jr. is stuck on 18 home runs. Springer's found his game a little bit, but they're they're missing some key bats, and they, they still struggle to score runs. And that will be the test for them this season, if they make the postseasons because they hit. Their pitching's been solid. You say Kikuchi's got the best earn run average in the second half of the Major League Baseball season. That's why he's starting game two with that wild card series and not Bassett or Burrios or anybody else. I don't want to hear it. It's Kikuchi. He'll give you six innings. Solid work. But that's kind of the Major League Baseball update. Braves got the Giants. And Braves are starting to play good again. 78 and 42. 78 and 42. Matt Olson leads Major League Baseball with 43 home runs. Ronald Acuna leads the 
so second in the National League in batting average, but he's batting 335. Matt Olson's got 107 RBIs, which leads baseball. 274, 43 homers, 107 RBIs. And he might not win MVP. Because Acuna, batting 335, 27 homers, 73 RBIs. He scored 109 runs, and he's stolen 55 bases. <laughs> it's quite staggering that Matt Olson might not win MVP with those numbers, but I don't think he will because I think Acuna is the better player, and he plays center field, so a more dependent position. But both guys have played every game this season, Acuna and Matt Olson. And until this week, they had Ozzie Albies at second. They had Acuna and Matt Olson had played every game for the Braves this season. Talk about good fortune, health, and just guys that don't want to sit out and want to play every day. Adam Silver's got to look at the Atlanta Braves and go, wow, why can't I have this in my sport? No, my problem is I got James Harden who's out of shape and hasn't won a championship. He wants to leave Philadelphia. You know, let's touch on that for a second. If you missed that this week, James Harden is partnered with Adidas. He's doing a tour in China, pushing new products, promoting the game, if you will. And he did a little Q&A and he said to a gym, gymnasium full of people, Daryl Morey is a liar and I will never play for an organization that he's a part of again. Daryl Morey is the president and general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers. And the interesting here is way back when Daryl Morey, then president of the Houston Rockets, traded for James Harden when he was part of Oklahoma City. James Harden loved Houston, played there for a long time. Daryl Morey did whatever he wanted. We can't win with this group. Give me Chris Paul. No, can't win with Chris Paul. He's too old. Give me Russell Westbrook. No, we can't win with this group. And eventually, James Harden put on a fat suit and asked his way out, which he did. James Harden then went to Brooklyn because he would only go to Brooklyn. Then said he would only go to Philadelphia. And now he wants traded out of Philly. And his accusation is that Daryl Morey promised that he would give James Harden a max extension this offseason because he gave them a discount last year so they could sign Daniel House and P.J. Tucker to provide a better team around himself and Joel Embiid. Well, that could be true. It seemed weird when he signed that contract that it wasn't a max. There was some rumor mill that James Harden would be made whole this offseason. But he... He opted into his deal for a one-year contract with the Sixers. So it was a one-year contract, and then he could become a total free agent next summer. Meaning he didn't really want to sign an extension with Philly, in my opinion. I don't think James Harden ever loved – I think he's always loved Houston, and he realized it more and more after he left. And they had chances there to get to an NBA Finals and to for him to be a champion, but they could never beat Golden State or they couldn't beat Portland that one season. 
it was, he was always close, but no cigar. But something that James Harden is the best at of anything. He's a great step step back three point shooter. He's maybe the best guard in the history of basketball at generating foul calls. But something he's even better than is getting what he wants. When James Harden wants a trade, he gets traded. When James Harden wants a new teammate, he gets a new teammate. Now, there's not a whole lot of trades that make sense. Teams have their money. Teams have their players. Currently. The Clippers don't want to give up Terrence Mann to Philadelphia. Why would you? What does it make sense? You say, oh, let's trade uh, Harden to Portland and Dame to Philly. Harden's not going to play in Portland, Oregon. He'd rather die in Philly. He wants to play in a big market or play in Los Angeles, be somewhere other than Philadelphia. I don't think James Harden really cares about basketball. Where he goes, it won't be about winning. He says he'd be interested in going back to Houston. Houston is nowhere close to winning a championship. They're in a complete rebuild, and the Houston Rockets taking on James Harden would be organizational malpractice to the young players that they have there. A young, young team in Houston. They don't need a ball hog, out of shape guy who's all about himself to come in and play. It would kill them. Yes, they're not going to be great this year, but they got a good coach. A really, Umi Odoka had his problems with the Celtics, but he's back. They got to see if Jalen Green's any good. I like Sangoon, Jamari Smith Jr., Kevin Porter Jr. They drafted Amen Thompson. They drafted Cam Whitmore out of Villanova. They signed Fred Van Fleet, Dylan Brooks. There's no place for James Harden on this team. And I think if the owner says it, Amy Odoka is going to go, no, I don't want him. He's not coming here. Harden's not going to the Celtics. The Lakers are set. They got a really good team. Not going to Denver. So his superpower is getting what he wants. But in this case, I don't know if he will. Unless he just doesn't care where he goes and he just wants out of Philly because he hates Daryl Moore that much. Are you going to go to Washington? Okay, they could use a star player. But again, I don't want James Harden because he'll actually help you win games. If I'm Washington, I want a high pick in the draft. He's better off staying in Philly for one year with Embiid and try to win. The Celtics reloaded. I don't know if it's for the better. I don't think their team's any better than it was last year. Jalen Brown's making more money. Okay. Their team's not as tough. They signed Christos Porzingis, who now has plantar fasciitis, can't play in the FIBA World Cup. That's not a good sign. A foot injury for a big man. That never happens. Ever. So, as good as he is at mastering this skill of getting what he wants when he doesn't deserve it whatsoever, which he does not, I don't think he's going to succeed this time around because I don't see a realistic landing spot 
for James Harden. Unless, and here's the unless, this is the only way. Let's say the Miami Heat, who desperately want Damian Lillard, they've wanted him for two months, no trade yet because Portland hates the package that they're being offered. It's not good enough, yada, yada, yada. Let's say Miami and Pat Riley and Mickey Arison look at their situation and say, okay, Portland's going to play hardball. He's not going to, they're not going to trade him to us. They're just not going to do it. And we want to try to win another title. And we're worse. See a comment. Landing spot for James Harden, the donut shop on the corner. Good one. I like that. Yeah, it's very true. I think the only one that really, and this is a this is harebrained, this isn't gonna happen. But the only thing is if Miami says we can't get Dame because Portland won't do it. And Portland, I, I've talked about this, but I agree with Portland that that package isn't all that good. Just isn't. Okay, give us Tyler Hero, injury plague, 20 points a game, can't defend anybody, another white guy who can shoot. Okay, great. And picks and other stuff. I'm psyched. I'm psyched about that trade package. But let's say Miami says, we can't get Dame, but we can get James Harden. I don't think it's a great fit because I think Jimmy Butler might take his head off. But Miami isn't as good. They lost pieces. Max Struess is in Cleveland. No longer with the team. UD retired. Uh, Gabe Vincent is a member of the Los Angeles Lakers. So they they aren't as good as they were last year, and they were a goddamn eight seed. So, So how good were they? They're relying on Dame coming because they know they need a big piece. They relied on depth, defense, and just an overall culture. So that than they are last, they can't rely on it. See, Harden has been the same player, and his defense is always an issue. I, I completely, I don't think I wouldn't want James Harden on my team ever. I'll make that clear. I, I think he's. He doesn't defend a soul. He is not a team player. He's self-centered. He's lazy. He doesn't care about if he's in shape or what he what he presents, what kind of person he is. You know, James Harden, he might be the modern-day Dennis Rodman, if that makes sense. He's very much, I'm about me. You know, I'm going to do crazy things. I'm going to go to appeal. I'm going to eat all this food. I'm going to miss a practice. I'll miss a game. Okay, you know, that's, think of Dennis and where he was in Chicago at the last dance. Harden isn't on that level. He's a much better player than Dennis Rodman. But I think, I think he's an enigma in that sense that he just can do whatever he wants and he gets away with it. Dennis wanted to go to Vegas. He went to Vegas. Rodman wants to, skip the All-Star game, and then skip the first game after the All-Star game because he's being honored at a strip club in Houston. That was just okay. I think he was on Brooklyn at the time, maybe. Could have been Philly, but he might have been. I think he was on Brooklyn. That was just okay. Okay, that's fine. We get it. 
You need your time off, James. Be ready for the <laughs> be ready for the postseason when you play the best. Sacramento could be interesting if he was a role player. Yeah. It's not bad. Sacramento's a good team, too, and I like Sacramento. Thing with Harden, he'll never come off the bench. And he's he's not bad enough to come off the bench either yet. He's still a he's still a good player. Like a, a game, what was it? Game four against the Celtics, he put up uh, almost fifty points. He was by he was better than Embiid. He was by far the best player on the floor, and he was awesome in that game. And he was pretty good in game five, but then six and seven, he he fell apart. He's in that position where he knows he's still good enough to be a starter. He's not in Allen Iverson territory where the league can tell him to fuck off. Where the league can say, go away. Oh, you don't want to be a role player on the Nuggets? Okay, well, go be unemployed. I don't think there's many teams out there that... that obviously, teams that can afford him. And that teams that want him. I, I think teams are in for agency, uh, still available. Uh, the Dallas, uh, Christian Wood, still available. He's an interesting name. He's kind of a mix, power forward, center. He could bring some value to teams. Not my favorite. I don't think he's the smartest guy when it comes to shot selection, and just, I guess the Lakers are in the mix. They might take Christian Wood, the Lakers, that was a report, again, it's not a done deal yet. But I, I think somebody will scoop him up, because again, he's not a great player, but he is he's still okay. The free agent list isn't most guys are are off the board. So see anybody else that I missed that might still be available. Uh, Josh Richardson, he went to the Heat. You get Jackson Hayes, went to the Lakers. So most guys are, are scooped up in, in free agency. But that, yeah, I, for, James, for James Harden, I think he'll be a sixer at the start of training camp. And I think he'll be a sixer when the NBA tips off in mid-October. Because I don't see a landing spot for him. And nobody wants him. Oddly enough, other than, other than Daryl Morey. Daryl Morey has loved James Harden from the beginning. Daryl Morey has paid James Harden so much goddamn money, more than he ever should have. He just kept paying him and paying him and paying him. Stay in Houston. Come to Philly. We love you, James. And he just kept eating and he kept doing stupid crap and they put up with it. 
hell of a strategy. Hasn't ended up uh, resulting in a championship for Daryl Morey, but you know, you got to keep trying, I guess. And Joel Embiid, and oddly enough, Joel Embiid and James Harden. Joel Embiid needs James Harden. And the Sixers need James Harden to play this year because if Joel plays the entire season without another co-star, because I like Tyrese Maxey a lot. I think he's a really good player, and he's going to continue to improve. But if it's Tyrese Maxey and Joel Embiid the entire year with a bunch of role guys and a, a year older P.J. Tucker, this roster is not going to win a championship. And will this roster even get to a second round as they did last year? I'm not so sure. And you know what happens then? Then Joel Embiid says, you know what? I'm 30 now. Not a spring chicken anymore. Maybe it's time I look elsewhere. Because that's the culture of the NBA. Let me look around. Where can I win? Because Jokic has won. Kay Tatum hasn't won yet, but he's gotten a hell of a lot closer than me. Steph, the Warriors, all my peers, players that I think I'm better than, if you're Joel Embiid, all have rings. I don't have any. How do I get one? That's the NBA culture. Another interesting, this is a minor, this won't be a big story for a little while. The Raptors and Pascal Siakam. Pascal Siakam is a businessman. And he's trying, he's trying to play a smart game right now. He wants to remain in Toronto the entire year. So he can be their best player. Lead them in pretty well every statistical category. Be on a bad team. And put up some great numbers. And by doing that, by doing that, he will be available for a Supermax extension. Meaning he will be eligible to get what Jalen Brown got this summer, five years over $300 million. The key thing here is he could get, he could be an all-NBA player. It's hard to do when you're on a really good team. Because guys touch the ball, your numbers aren't good enough, and when you're on a bad team and you do it all by yourself, well, you get more publicity, you get more looks, and it's just it's an easier thing to do. He wants to remain a Raptor, said he can get this extension, and of course that would link him up to Toronto for five years, but that doesn't mean he wants to stay there in his entire career. Look at Bradley Beal, signed with the Wizards. Supermax, I love you, Washington, D.C. Let's do it. I love you guys. Remember John Wall? Okay, we're great. And then he's his first year after that contract, he asks for a trade. And the Wizards get nothing in return because he makes so much <laughs> he makes so much goddamn money. This would be the same thing with the Raptors, and the Raptors have to play a game of cat and mouse right now. Because they need to decide, are we willing to risk Siakam being an all-NBA player on our shit team this year? Are we willing to take the chance that he's great? Because if he's great, 
The thing about the NBA, it's not a negotiation. It's not, oh, I think you're worth this. It's not NFL where, ah, oh, Joe Burrow, you know, I want to pay you $250 million guarantee. I actually want $260. How about we settle $245? Okay. There's a negotiation there. Other sports, you 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 can negotiate. And in Sorry about that, everybody. You lost you for a second. Internet went out. If, talking about the Raptors, if, if we pay Siakam, he's our best player. We pay him all this money. How long till he wants out, and can we win? Both things are true. And it's saying that the, the Atlanta Hawks or offering him a contract, offered. I saw what the the package. It's nothing, nothing really. That, all that juicy, nothing that AJ Griffin and picks and DeAndre Hunter. Okay, but it's a game of cat and mouse because you need to decide what's the best course of action for your organization. That's that's all a debate. It's all a gamble. Celtics gambled with Jalen Brown. And they... They paid him a whole lot of money to stick around knowing that they're probably going to have to make a decision between him and Tatum in a year because they're not going to play two guys over $300 million and keep them on the same team. Their payrolls, they'll be paying luxury tax out their ass, out the wazoo, to get close, but not close enough. So yes, it's the summer, and you're not close to the NBA, and your only story you get is James Harden in in China complaining about Daryl Morey. But all these things come into circulation. You got to start thinking ahead of what is what's going to happen with your organization. What what happens down the line? Tough job to be an executive. For the Raptors, I don't want to trade a guy for nothing. I, and I don't want to trade a guy who wants to be on my team because it, it's easier said than done to get people to stick around and be a Raptor. Kawhi Leonard was a hostage for one year and he did it and he won a championship. 
but he could have stuck around and had a really good chance at repeating. Because, yes, that Raptors team got lucky with injuries in the NBA Finals to Steph and to Clay and to Kevin Durant. But do you remember that next year? The, the Warriors picked second in the draft. They were completely out of it. The Raptors were great until they got into the bubble that whole weird COVID year. The Lakers ended up winning, but the Raptors were as good as any team in the East without Kawhi. Miami got to the final that year. The Miami Heat led by Goran Dragic in the bubble. It was a weird, weird year. Kawhi sticks around. If he re-signs and says, I, if he doesn't go to the Clippers, he would have had a better chance of winning a title in Toronto again than with the Clippers. But he wanted L.A. He wanted that lifestyle over his chances of winning another ring. Which I don't blame him because heat beats everything else. Can't put a price on heat. Well, actually you can because you literally have to pay for it. But I'll pay for it. My condo should be more in Miami than it is here. Absolutely. Because Miami is warm all the time. Here, it's nice like two months a year. Good God. But if Siakam wants to be a Raptor, love to be a Raptor for the time being, there is value in that as well. So it's it's, it's a constant, you're thinking over your options, what's going to happen, how do we keep people happy, how do we keep our team competitive, all a big debate here. Let's go to the UFC. UFC... 292 this weekend in Boston, Mass. First time in Boston in a very long time. Dana White's home uh, home turf. He's put together a very good card. And it all ends with the UFC Bantamweight Championship fight between current champion Aljamain Sterling and Sugar Sean O'Malley. Aljamain's defended his title three times now, which is the second longest streak in the UFC currently behind one Alexander Volkanovsky. And interesting here is Aljamain says whether he wins or loses the fight on Saturday, this is 99% chance his last fight in the 135-pound division. He wants to move up and contend for the featherweight championship and fight Alexander Volkanovsky in the future. I don't blame Aljo. I think he's earned the right to do this. I think he's, it's hard to argue he's not the best Bantamweight fighter in UFC history. He's beaten Corey Sanhagen. He's beaten Henry Cejudo. He's beaten Corey Sanhagen. Beat Pewter Yawn twice. He's had a very impressive run. Aljamain is not liked. He's not appreciated because people don't like the way he fights. He's a wrestler and he wants to get you to the ground and he'll beat you on points for the most part. But that's fighting. People do different things in sports. It's about finding a way to win the fight and less about, okay, style points. 
He does a good job of having style points outside the cage because I think Aljamain's got a really big personality. I think he's got a good following, just not all that popular. He's fighting a guy that the UFC crowd loves, and he's fighting a man that will be the favorite by the fans going into this fight, Trigger Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley's a striker. He wants to stay on his feet and box with you for 15 minutes, or in this case, 25. He's beaten Pedro Munoz, defeated Peter Jan. He knocked out Ralvi and Pilva, knocked out Chris Mutino, knocked out Thomas Almeida. He's, he's, a, he's a puncher. He punches extremely hard, and that's his game. That's the way he likes to fight. So the tale of the tape here is Sean is not a really good wrestler, not a good grappler. He got taken down with ease against Pewter Yawn, who is not exactly, you know, jujitsu black belt. So how's he going to do against Sterling, who's he called himself the Funk Master because he is he has a weird fighting style. He's got weird. He switches his stances often, and he can shoot for a takedown anytime he wants. I don't think he's going to go all that well. I hope Sean practiced. I hope he had some training partners that he wrestled with. Because yes, El Jermaine can say in interviews, I'm not going to be the first one to shoot, first one to try to uh, try to go for a takedown, has to give the other 100 bucks. But I think Sterling knows that's the best way for him to win a fight, is to get it on the ground and to make Sean panic. To see if he can if he tries to roll around, if he gets him on his back, it could be over before it starts. Heading in, Aljo's a minus 258 favorite. O'Malley you can get at plus 210. So Sterling's a heavy favorite going into this fight. And that's that's the way I see it going. I think Aljamain will defend his title for a fourth time. I think he's the better fighter. The UFC wants Sean O'Malley to win this fight. They want him to be champion because he's got that swagger, because he's a brand name. And if Sterling wins this fight and he decides to go to the 145-pound division, it's another title that could be vacant in the UFC. And they already have a vacant title with the light heavyweights right now. So that's already a problem. They don't want two championships that are, are currently vacant, not to mention all the Bantam weights are injured behind Aljamain. So that's a problem in and of itself. Sean has a brand. Sean is so popular. People like his hair. They like it. He's got tattoos on his face. They just, they like his, I think younger UFC fans really like Sean O'Malley. And I expect Boston to be loud when he walks out on Saturday night. I expect them to be yelling, and I expect Aljo probably to get booed when he walks out. But the cream rises to the crop. I think Sean's a good fighter. He's a good striker. But I don't think he's going to beat Aljamain Sterling. He's got a puncher's chance, but I rewatched his fight with Peter Yon this week. 
And Pewter Yawn was just he was stronger than Sean, you could argue. He got him to the ground. And Aljamain, in, in their second fight, it went all 25 minutes. He had two rounds where he had Pewter Yawn on the ground in a, a full body lock. Over four minutes of ground control time. And then Yawn did that to Sean O'Malley. So there's just levels to this. And I think, I just think Aljamain's in a, in a class above Sean. Co-main event, we have Zhang Wei Li fighting Amanda Lemos. Zhang Wei Li's had an interesting career, to say the least. She was on losing streaks, then became champion again. If you look, 2022, she knocked out Yuana on Jacek in a rematch of the greatest female fight in UFC history, my opinion. Then submitted Carla Esparza to win the title. But in 2021, she lost to Rose Namajunas twice in championship fights. So she's been hot streaks, cold streaks, but since losing that fight in 2021, the thug Rose, she's looked like a different woman. Winning two fights in a row. She's learning English, being a Chinese woman, which is incredible. And she just looks like a different striker. She looks more confident. And she's been dialed in as champion. Now, she fights Amanda Lamos, who's two years older than Zhang Weili. She's 36. So she's had a journey to get here. But she's, she beat Michelle Watterson. She beat Marina Rodriguez. She beat Angela Hill. She's won her last six, seven. She hasn't lost since 2017. Let's make that easier. She's not lost since 2017. And she's got a bunch of different skills. She's a good striker. She can submit you. Her, her wrestling is very good. She submitted Watterson. She knocked out Rodriguez. She knocked out Ruiz. I'm interested to see what she wants to do in this fight because Zhang Wei Li can strike with the best woman with the best woman in the world. She submitted Esparza. She she's knocked out Jan Jacek. So she's she's done it all to get victories. She knocked out Jessica Andrash. But I think both of these women have the requisite skills. And this fight hasn't been broadcasted as much, hasn't been talked. I think this is a very, very good co-main event fight. Because these two women both can bring it. Both are extremely talented and have different ways to win inside the octagon. Right now, Lemos is a plus 250 underdog. And it's tough to, to bet against Sean Wei Lee. Because like I said, ever since winning back the title, she's looked like a different person. But even you can get Amanda Lemos at plus 250. I think it's a good gamble, personally. I think she she's going to beat Zhang Wei Li on Saturday night. 
It's going to be a close fight. I'll even go as far as to say this. I think the co-main event will be better than the main event. I think that the these two women, it is the possibility of going 25 minutes. I think it's going to be a war in there. Because both women can knock you out. Both women punch extremely hard. And both can win in different ways. John Lee's lost three times in her pro career, 23 and 3. Lemos has lost twice in her pro career, 13, 2, and 1. Both have different skills. Both are extremely crafty. But I'm going to go with Lemos to pull off the upset betting-wise and win the title Saturday night in Boston. Third fight in the May card. You have Ian Machado Gary fighting the gatekeeper, Neil Magny. Ian Gary is the top prospect in the welterweight 170-pound division right now. 12-0, undefeated. He's only 25, and he, he loves to fight. He's already fought twice this year. Knocked out Keenan Song. Then he knocked out Daniel Rodriguez in the first round in May 2022. He got two wins by decision. He continues to improve. Now he gets his biggest test because he gets Neil Magny. He gets a ranked fighter, 11 years older than him, but Neil Magny, who's been in, the, in there with the best of them, has fought the best in the world, and he's lost to some but he knows what it's like to see a rising star come through and kind of pump the brakes. Neil Magny's 11th in the rankings. You have Ian Gary, who's 11th. Ian Gary is so confident. He is the next great Irish fighter. He loves Conor McGregor. I think he's personally, he's got the potential to have not, I think he could be a better fighter than Conor McGregor personally because I just think he works harder at different aspects of his game. Yes, he's a puncher, he's a striker, but he's training in Brazil for a month and a half, working with guys like Charles Oliveira, who's a submission specialist, working on his jiu-jitsu, where Conor is, I'm going to knock you out, and that's my only plan of attack. So Ian Gary loves the fight game. And again, so young and so hungry. But Neil Magny. Beat Phil Rowe in June. He's fought Gilbert Burns. They both beat Dan Rodriguez. He fought Shavkat Rachmanov in a fun fight. Beat Max Griffin. He beat Jeff Neal. Who... That's who Ian Gary was supposed to fight, who had to pull out. Fight Chiesa. He's beaten Robbie Lawler. He's been in the cage with the best of them. He's been in the cage with champions. Neil Magny wants to get close to you, push you up against the cage, and land strikes and just control you throughout the fight. I don't think that's going to happen. Right now... Neil Magny's plus three to Ian Gary's a minus 500 favorite. And I believe that's correct because I think Ian Gary is going to win this fight. I'll even say I think he wins it via first round knockout. 
I think he's got I think he's that good. He's got that much hype around him. Give me Ian Gary via, via first round KO Saturday night at TD Garden. But Ian Gary is just he's rising. He said he's the biggest name on this card. Hard to argue, honestly, because he is he is big he's big business. And what they do with him after this fight is interesting in and of itself because I think he's going to win. And if he does win, who do they want? He wants to fight in December, he said. Doesn't want a long layoff. That would get him to 11. Maybe they put him 10th in the rankings. He could fight Jeff Neal again. Did they give him Wonder Boy? Shavkat needs a fight. That'd be fun. Gilbert Burns. So, who knows? But sky's the limit for Ian Gary. Also, you get Marlon Chito Vera against Pedro Munoz. Interesting here. Chito Vera is the only man in the UFC to beat Sean O'Malley. Knocked him out. Chito's kind of hit the skids. He lost in his last fight to Corey Sanhagen. He was dominated. But he gets a fight here, and he wants to get back on the right track. Pedro Munoz beat Chris Gutierrez. He steps in for this fight after Henry Sua had to pull out. Again, a smart decision, if you ask me. For, for Pedro, because you get to rise in the rankings quicker. And with a win, with a win this weekend for Pedro Munoz, he would leap himself... Where is Cheeto? 145, pardon me. He would put himself at number sixth in the rankings. He's at 10 currently. Put yourself at six. That's a big win. Pedro fought Sean O'Malley, but it was ruled a no contest because there was a an eye poke and he couldn't continue the fight. If Sean wins this fight. There's heat, there's opportunity for either Cheeto or Pedro Munoz to get the next title opportunity simply because they have feud, they have a beef with Sean. There's a reason for both guys. You can sell it, you can put it on a pay-per-view, and I think Sean's interested. Plus, Marab's injured, Cejudo's injured, Sanhagen's out six months, Peter Yan, who the hell knows, haven't heard from him all year. Rob Font just lost. So there's possibilities there, certainly. You can that fight, Pedro Munoz is at plus 160. He's an, a slight underdog. I think he can beat Cheeto Vera. Not only that, I'd bet on him. Give me Pedro Munoz. Also on this card, you have Demond Blackshear who's stepping in to fight Mario Bautista, short notice after fighting seven days ago. Credit to him. Bautista's won four in a row. Blackshear's won three in a row. I have a hard time seeing Blackshear winning twice in a week, making the weight cut twice. But maybe. 
But Bautista's been more and more confident. He looks like a guy that's really on the rise, that's found his game. But again, Blackshear is... He's great. But I, I will take... I would take... Uh, Bautista, just because of because of the weight, simply. On the prelims, Chris Weidman makes his return. Almost over two years since he last fought, where he had a nasty. His leg snapped against Uriah Hall. It was one of the ugliest injuries in pro sports, really. You saw him go down. I was watching the fight. It was so hard to look at. And that was in April of 2021. Now we're in August 2023. He makes his return against Brad Tavares. Wyman's a former champion. He's a great. He's He's awesome. Brad's lost a couple fights in a row. I think this is a smart fight for Chris Weidman to return against, a guy who's not ranked, who's not exactly at the top of his game. I hope All I hope here is I do think Weidman's going to win. Tavares is a favorite going in, minus 270. But I think Weidman's going to win this fight. But I, I just hope he doesn't get hurt. You know, I hope everything goes smoothly. Through. Win or lose... No big injuries to that leg, and he feels good. That's that's all I'm hoping for this weekend in Boston because, oh, that in, watching him injure that leg over two years ago, it's I still I can see the image now, and it wasn't good. On the prelims, you also have the two alt the Ultimate Fighter finales. Kurt Hollibaugh, Austin Hubbard in the lightweight finale. Fun bout because I think it's going to be a striker's duel there. Give me Kurt Hollibaugh. He it looked like he was going to lose his first fight in the Ultimate Fighter. Snuck out a guillotine. Beat Jason Knight. And now he's here. I think he beats Austin Hubbard. Bantamweight finale. You have Brad Katona, who's going for history. Looking to become the first-time, two-time winner of the Ultimate Fighter. He fights Cody Gibson who's also been game. He won his first two fights via finish. Cody Gibson is, is the slight underdog going into this. Watching the Ultimate Fighter finale, neither of these guys like each other. There is some bitterness there. They, they, they want to fight one another. They want to hurt one another. Cody Gibson even said that. It's interesting because Katona is gonna he's gonna try to win via decision. He's gonna try to win via the points. He fights a lot like Neil Magny, oddly enough. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go with Cody Gibson. I think it'd be a, a slight upset. But I think I think he'll he'll get the win and stop Brad Katona for being the two-time winner of the ultimate fighter. So that's my prediction there. But that's that's UFC 292 this weekend. A very good card. Very good card. Some interesting, just what happens. If Aljamain wins the fight, does he get an immediate title shot at 145 pounds? 
unlikely. I think what might happen there is I think the UFC wants to book Alexander Volkanovsky and Mr. Waterbottle, as as Chael Sonnen likes to call him, in for for the next fight for the 145 pound title. Ilya Taporia, because Ilya is interesting. He's he's been a brand name. He's up to five in the rankings now. And he just makes sense. There's heat there. They had a face-off. Volk beat, has beaten Holloway three times. He's beaten Yair. He's beaten Ortega. Hasn't fought Arnold Allen. But Taporia makes more sense. So I think they want to book that fight as soon as possible. Maybe It might even be pushed the next year because there's only so, so many events left. But that maybe that's the first fight in January of 2024. But if that fight happens, does Aljo, if he wants to move up, does he get the next title fight for 140? I think he'd be worthy of it. But Volk, I think, wants to fight for the lightweight title. And if if Islam defeats Charles in Abu Dhabi in October, there's a possibility of that fight happening. It happened last year in February. It could happen in February again this year before Ramadan and before everything happens with that. It was, I think it's still the fight of the year. To me, it was the, be- the best fight in the UFC this year. There have been some good ones, but that was by far the best. It would make sense. It'd be smart business to run it back because Volkanovski is one of the biggest stars in your sport. And if he he was so close, he wants another shot, I think he's worthy of it. I think he deserves that. He fights whoever you put in front of him in his own division. So what I think actually will happen, Aljamain wins this weekend. Volk will fight Taporia. Who knows what happens there? What might happen is we get an interim featherweight interim title fight. Because that does happen. And if Holloway beats Zombie, Holloway might want to move up. But if Holloway and Aljamain Sterling could agree to fight for an interim for the interim 145 pound title, that would be fun. That would make sense. You don't want Holloway and Volkanovski to fight another for a fourth time, but you might risk it if you had Holloway against Sterling, two past champions, two guys that have been awesome pillars for your sport. Or even if you did Arnold Allen against Aljamain Sterling, interim title fight potentially. That would make some sense. I think there's options. That's the best thing with the UFC right now. Because they have fights in the can that I think they want to book, that they want to make. And some of these will be in 2024 because there's only so much time left in 2023. There's a pay-per-view tomorrow. There's a pay-per-view in Australia first weekend of September. Then there's a, a an event with a title fight for Mexican, Mexican Independence Day, but it's not a pay-per-view. Then we get a pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia in October. Pay-per-view at the Mecca in New York in November and a pay-per-view in Las Vegas 
in December. That's it for 2023. And looking ahead, well, Volks fought twice this year already. He he's done he's done he's done his part. You're gonna have Izzy is gonna fight twice because he's fighting next month. Do they want to get? I think they want to get Covington and Covington and Leon Edwards. Pardon me, booked before the year's over because we've been talking about that fight since March. So I think they want to have that in a pay-per-view, whether they put it on with John Jones or it's by itself in December, that's going to happen. I think they want to have a new light heavyweight champion before the year's over. So I think they want to book that before the year's said and done between Popatan, Alex Pereira, and Yuri Prohaska. That's going to happen before the year's over. So if we know those fights, I think those fights have to get done. It's not, okay, they... We can push them back. I think that those need to happen before 2023 is over. In particular, Covington fight with Leon Edwards, because that's, again, it's been talked about since March. But if you get that one, if you get those two fights done in the can, then I don't. you don't need Alex Volkanovsky to fight again in 2023. Actually, it doesn't make that much sense for him to fight again in 2023. Because he's a bigger brand. He's more popular than Leon Edwards. And he's more popular than anybody in the light heavyweight division. He headlines his own pay-per-view. That other title fight will be secondary. It'll be a co-main event. Because Volkanovski Taporia absolutely can headline fucking anything. Because Volkanovski will sell, but so will Taporia. He's very good with the media. He's very confident. He's cocky. He thinks he can beat Volk. And good for him. There's not many everybody that steps in there, oh, I think I can beat him. But you really don't, because you get fucking squashed in the first round. He takes your heart away. And before you know it, the fight's over. So Volkanovsky, like I don't think he fights again in 2023. And I think after Aljamain Sterling, after he fought against Cejudo and he had a quick turnaround to fight this weekend, he's not fighting again in 2023. And I think he'd be happy to sit and wait. He may not fight again until July of next year. Sounds like a long time, but say Volk only fights in January. When's he going to fight again? June? And that's if he wants to keep fighting at 145 pounds and not move up and take his chances at 155. So interesting things on the horizon, for sure. Also announced, I mentioned the Mexican Independence Day. They're calling it the NOSH event. That's September 16th, headlined in the rematch between Alexa Grasso and Valentina Shevchenko. Co-main event was supposed to be... Uh, Shavkat Rachmanov against Kelvin Gaslam. Gaslam's injured. He's out. We have a new co-main event. The true BMF, Kevin Holland, will step in to fight Jack Della Maddalena. JDL was supposed to fight an international fight week, got pushed back a week, and he looked 
he looked didn't look great, and he had to step in and fight a, a guy to step in take a fight with him on day's notice, and it was an interesting decision. He wanted to fight in Australia. They couldn't get anybody to fight him in Australia, so he's coming back over to Vegas to fight in that event. So Kevin Holland, Jack Della Maddalena is the new co-main event for September 16th. Awesome fight. Awesome fight. Two guys, 170 pounds, that are very good, both guys. And I think Kevin Holland's been getting better. I think this is a dangerous fight for Jack Dillon Maddalena, personally. Can't wait to see it. Both guys, strikers, interesting matchup. Raul Rojas Jr., the height train that was Raul Rojas, lost his fight a number of months ago in Miami to Christian Rodriguez. Gassed out in the first round, the next two rounds, was beaten on the ground handily, was kind of outclassed. Well, he'll be back. He'll be back at this event as well. He's going to be fighting Terrence Mitchell. Mitchell has not fought in some time. His UFC debut, he fought Cameron Simon, a great Bantamweight from uh, from South Africa. So he was on like a 12-fight unbeaten streak, gets the UFC, loses his first fight. So both guys coming off a loss. They will meet in this special Nosh event. And also, Chris Curtis was supposed to be on the card. Ian Gary, who we talked about, broke his rib in sparring. Anthony Hernandez will now fight Roman Kopilov, who fought in Utah, another rising contender at 185 pounds. So that event on September 16th is shaping up pretty good. If you think it's in Boston this week, next weekend, the UFC heads to Singapore. 6 a.m. prelim start, Saturday morning. Interesting for the UFC to be that early. Then they go to Paris the next week. So big travel. And then the next week, they go to Australia. The UFC has fights for the next... Their first break is the last weekend of September. They've been, they've been, had, they've been having events every weekend since the start of May. It's crazy that they've been putting these events all over everywhere. But they start their tour, Singapore, Korean Zombie, Holloway. Then you go to Paris, Cyril Gaon, Sergey Spivak. Then Australia, Sean Strickland, Israel Adesanya for the middleweight title. So that's the UFC roundup, UFC update heading into the weekend. Can't wait to watch that tomorrow night. Tennis. Big news there, Denis Shapovalov couldn't play at the National Bank Open, couldn't play at Cincinnati. He will not be playing at the U.S. Open at Flushing Meadows. Knee injury is going to miss the entire event this year. It's a big, big blow, not just for the event, but also for Dennis. Hard court, I would, I would make the argument, his best surface. So he's done. He's done not playing. I got, we talked about earlier in the week. Who knows if Bianca Andreescu is going to play. She's complaining about a back injury. This week, I guess Schweintek today, she's through to the semifinal at Cincinnati. You've had a couple big upsets. Pagula lost yesterday. Carolina Mukova beat her countrywoman Maria Buskova. It was 3-0 in the first set. She had to pull out. 
Coco Goff is in action this afternoon. She's having a good couple weeks winning in Washington, going to a quarterfinal in Canada, and now to another quarterfinal here in Cincinnati. And you have Ons Jabber, Arnia Sabalenka, center court tonight. Both women, this is a rematch of the Wimbledon semifinal. So both women, two of the best in the world. Men's draw, a lot of big upsets. You had Sissy Paz lose yesterday. You had Sinner losing the first round after winning, winning in Canada. Medvedev lost to Alexander Zverev. Zverev has looked good. Carlos Alcaraz went three sets with Tommy Paul, but he got some revenge. Tommy Paul beat him in Canada. He uh, faces Max Purcell from Australia today, and really it's 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 a match to see do we get Alcaraz and Djokovic in the final. Opposite sides of the draw, number one, two seeds in the tournament. Djokovic has not dropped a set yet. Beat Gil Mafis straight sets last night. He gets American Taylor Fritz on center court tonight. Uh, Zverev gets unranked. Adrian Manorino, you have Hubert Herkaz and Alexei Poprin playing currently. So that's what's going on in the world of tennis. NFL. Russell Gage, Tampa Bay Bucks wide receiver, broke his leg in practice, non-contact injury, done for the season. Big loss for the Buccaneers and their quarterback room. Chris Jones, Nick Bosa, still not at camp, still no new contracts for those two pass rushers. Bigger loss for Kansas City, in my opinion. They need Chris Jones desperately. They're not the same team without him. But he remains out of camp, so we'll see. Still a no-show. He gets fined 50000 a day every day that he does not report. Preseason this weekend. Carolina and the New York Giants. That's Bryce Young playing the New York Giants. I, interesting just to see. He's already been named starting quarterback, as has uh, Anthony Richardson. So was Sam Howell today for the Washington Commanders. But just want to see him play, make his strides. C.J. Stroud and the Houston Texans will play the Miami Dolphins. He's another rookie, has not been named the starting quarterback yet. Didn't look great in his preseason debut against the New England Patriots. He gets another opportunity Saturday night against the Fish. Desmond Ritter gets his first preseason action for the Falcons against the Bengals. No Joe Burrow again, but I'm, I'm curious to see Desmond Ritter. I think he should have played last week. He needs to get the reps because he did not look great last year for the Falcons. Also, last night, Dorian Thompson-Robinson. To me, he should be the backup quarterback for the Cleveland Browns behind Deshaun, piece-of-shit Watson. Josh Dobbs is in the mix. You have Kellen Mond, who's been there for a couple seasons. DTR, fifth-round pick, UCLA. He was great in college. He's looked good in the preseason when he's getting reps. I like DTR. To me, he's their number two quarterback. Okay, keep Dobbs on the practice squad, cut Kellen Mond. He is not the future. He is not the best option to be a backup quarterback. To me, it's it's DTR or bust. That is pretty much everything, I believe. Before we wrap it, I'm going to check Twitter because you never know what's happening on Twitter. Maybe things are happening that I don't know about because I wasn't on Twitter while we're doing this. It doesn't look like anything too crazy right now. But again, the weekend, tennis, baseball, UFC, the BMW uh, championship, 
Chris Kirk is currently in the lead. Eight under through uh, his four shot four under today. He's minus eight for the tournament. You have Ricky Fowler in second place at six under par. Corey Connors, the Canadian, is at minus five alongside Scotty Scheffler. Still today, Rory McIlroy, Brian Harmon, Open Championship winner, have yet to tee off. So they still can't lay, hasn't, te- hasn't teed off, neither has Max Homa. Both guys played very well last week. So it's a fight to get inside the top 30. It's a fight to, to ultimately win, to be in the best position heading into the Tour Championship at East Lake next week. So I hope you all have a great weekend. Enjoy it. Enjoy the heat while we have it. Enjoy the UFC, whatever else you consume sports-wise this weekend. We'll be back next week to recap it all and get into some more NFL preview shows. Thanks for the comments. Thanks for the sport. Till next time, this to the point.